Hello, listeners. Welcome back to the pod. Uh, I've got my one of my usual guests on the show today, Danny uh, from Shapelicity. Danny, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Jazz. Nice to be back. Now it's our turn to be in, well, we're not locked down, but we've got the COVID outbreak now in Sydney. So you go out, we go in. <laughs> we sort of go out. There's, there's still a few uh, restrictions in place, but we're managing. We're used to it, I think. That's right. You're well experienced. <laughs> yeah. The school, uh, homeschool setup is already there. So nothing to, nothing, nothing to panic now, <laughs> except that it's painful. Yeah. Um, so, Danny, it's been what more than a month now. So, just a touch that, over a month, I think. Yeah, a yeah. uh, few things have happened in the market. Where should we get started from? Uh, so, there's obviously a lot of talk about at the moment. Well, the most recent one was the FOMC meeting and the raising of the interest rates. Well, they haven't they haven't raised it. I guess, Jazz, since we last spoke. So I remember the last podcast we had. We were chatting about uh, big tech and possibly buying some big tech in May, uh, because I remember that's when I did um, that blog piece and we discussed that. And I think that the during the podcast we've been discussing quite a lot how interest rates, the expectations, what the central banks are going to do, whether they're going to tighten, when when they're going to stop QE, has had a material impact on the way that the stocks and the share markets are moving. And it's pretty similar between Australia and the US, because you've always got to remember that the rest of the world usually mirrors what comes out of the US, because the Federal Reserve, you know, is the elephant in the room. So having discussed that I felt that big tech was looking like a bit of a buy back in May, we have actually seen uh, in the US and in Australia some rotation going out of the value value cyclical stocks. So when we say value and cyclical stocks, people need to think about the bank shares, the uh, so the financials, the materials companies, iron ore in Australia, mm-hmm. um, commodity companies, you've seen copper price come back. And they basically decided that it was time to go back into some of those growth companies, particularly what we call the big tech. So Apple, Amazon, Microsoft. Microsoft actually just hit a $2 trillion valuation overnight. Mm-hmm. So that's for the first time. And the reason why that the money has switched is that some people, some of the strategists like uh, Morgan Stanley is starting to say that we may be at peak recovery. So peak of that V-shaped recovery in mm-hmm. the US. And um, the, 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 the markets are just going to continue to kind of vacillate between do we, do we stay in the value, so-called value cyclical plays or do we go back into to growth? And at the moment, it's sitting in the growth camp because NASDAQ hit a record high mm-hmm. last night in the US and the S&P briefly touched on a record high, whereas most of the pullback in the last, the last four to six weeks has been in the Dow stocks, which traditionally have more old economy stocks in them. Mm-hmm. But if you overlay all of this, well, you're right, you had the FOMC meeting and you basically had J-PAL coming out and saying, yes, we are now talking about tapering um, and the tapering is the $120 billion US dollars of 
bonds and mortgage-backed securities that they're buying each month. They didn't say when they're going to taper that, mm -hmm. but they did bring forward the expectation, I think, to, gosh, I've just forgotten, is it two or three rate rises in 2023? Mm -hmm. So we're still talking a long time out. Where the stock market got all confused at the back end of last week when Friday had a, a calamitous sell-off was Bullard, who's no longer a voting participant in the FOMC, basically came out and said um, that he thought there may be a rate rise in 2022. And this is all to do with whether it the inflation that we're seeing in the US economy and around the world, whether it's transitory, you know, and that's to do with the reopening trade, or we're looking at more embedded inflation coming in. And as you know, the Fed is very determined to try and get full employment and sustained inflation above 2% for a period of time. So that's kind of the brief overview of where we're at. So just for the listeners, what does... Oh, sorry, Jazz, sorry, apology. I just blocked you. Could you start again? <laughs> just for the listeners, what does transitory inflation actually means? Yeah, that's a good question. So I was just listening to Jay, Jay Powell, who was being presenting to Congress overnight, and it's basically when, so with the COVID lockdowns, you had a total collapse in demand and a total collapse in pricing because mm -hmm. everybody is obviously locked up at home pretty much globally. As we've come out of those lockdowns, there's been huge demand for many, many things. Uh, and where we've seen it is in uh, things, believe it or not, such as used cars in America. And there's been massive, massive demand, huge high prices. And in part, that reflects the people obviously want another car at home because their lifestyles have changed as a result of the virus. But also, too, there have been big supply side constraints mm -hmm. to producing and manufacturing new cars. And predominantly, that has been in the semiconductor space. Mm -hmm. And this, again, goes back to the massive economic contraction that we had last year and mm -hmm. then with the reopening of the economies everybody was purchasing stuff last year and it's caused shortages so there was a lot of purchasing of um, iPhones and um, you know computers for the work from home economy that's caused a semiconductor shortage as well as them not investing enough so when when they talk about transitory inflation it's inflation higher prices that have directly resulted from the reopening of the US economy. So you've seen it in um, timber prices, the lumber price went through the roof because everybody's suddenly building a home. Since then, that's fallen off a cliff. You've seen it in the likes of, at the moment, um, you've got uh, very high prices in terms of airfares and hotels. You're seeing the pricing spike there. And you're also probably seeing it moving out of more of the durable goods towards the services so everybody is dashing to las vegas to go out and spend their money and it's pretty much as um jay powell said it's it's very hard for them because they've never seen anything like this before mm -hmm. we've never had complete enforced shutdowns of economies and then this incredible reopening and creating the v-shaped demand so their view is is that the supply chains become unblocked and demand is actually met 
mm-hmm. um, that you will see a more normalized pricing structure going on. So, for example, used cars in the US now, the prices are falling again, and you will start to see more cars being able to be manufactured. They're saying that those semiconductor shortages that we've seen for the likes of Ford and GM and even Tesla, that they should be alleviated, I'm led to believe, in the last uh, in the next month or so. The other indicator is that there's been problems with global shipping. So you've seen huge rises in global shipping prices. I was listening to someone who lives in Los Angeles saying that normally you could see all these huge container ships off the coast. You know, they got up to 40 or 50 sitting there and they're back down to eight container ships waiting. So as everybody's demand is being met, Um, And people too, you've got to remember that there is a point at which demand starts to collapse. If things get too expensive, people go, I'm just not going to do that. So we're renovating a house. We've actually had to stop a certain portion of that renovations because the costs have got too high. So we're going to defer a chunk of it. And some friends of ours have basically said, we're not even going to renovate this year. This is just ridiculous. It's too it's too hot, the market. So we'll just wait till demand settles down. So it's a bit like the python that's swallowing, you know, the huge rabbit. It takes a while for the rabbit to be digested. Once it is, then you see a greater equilibrium between supply and demand. So the Fed is saying that they don't think that these price increases are necessarily going to be embedded into um, the indicator that they use, which uses, which is not the consumer price index, but the um, the personal consumption expenditure. And that's the index that they look at, and that is being reported this Friday. So we could get another move in share markets at the end of the week if this number is particularly strong. And it is always reflected in that US 10-year bond, which really at the moment is kind of consolidating just under the 1.5%. So two questions I have. Uh, One is the since the Fed's announcement of thinking about raising interest rates, uh, the Dixie, DXY, has gone up a bit. That's the US dollar index, yeah. Correct. Uh, any any general thoughts on that? Of oh, Jess, I'm not, I'm not a currency specialist, but look, I think at the end of the day, the US dollar strengthening is, is quite interesting because you've seen the Aussie dollar really, really quite weak. So normally you get a stronger US dollar if the expectation is, is that the US rate moves are going to be more than anywhere else and that this rate hikes are actually going to cause a slowdown in growth. Mm-hmm. So Australia is a commodity reflation economy. Mm-hmm. So if the A dollar is weakening, it's basically the expectation that, you know, these Fed rate rises down the track are going to slow economic growth. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the Australian dollar will come under pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's probably the only thing one can kind of extrapolate at this point in time. Now, obviously, if Australia starts to put up rates more aggressively, mm-hmm. and I just noted that Commonwealth Bank is now talking about they think the Reserve Bank will start to raise rates in uh, next year, mm-hmm. and um, I think with at least one rate rise and then another two or three in 2023, you may see the Aussie dollar starting to move in the other direction. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess the funny thing is, is that we're all sitting here talking about stuff that's, you know, 12, 18 months, 24 months, 36 months away. 
we, we don't even know what we're going to be doing next week up here in Sydney. <laughs> I mean, we could be in lockdown and the whole economy comes to a grinding halt again. Yeah. And one thing that I just wanted to touch on for your listeners is this whole vaccination rollout in Australia, okay? So Fauci's been talking, Fauci, the, you know, the head, head medico over in the US who obviously clashed with the former president, Donald Trump, over what to do over coronavirus. He's just made the point that we're seeing a huge rise in the Delta strain, the Delta variant over in the UK, mm-hmm. but because they've had quite a successful vaccine rollout over there, mm-hmm. uh, you're not seeing as many hospitalizations. but that, that Delta strain has also, you're seeing quite really strong growth over in the US. It manifests itself particularly in younger people, so as young as five, through to the 18, 20-year-olds. And although their rollout program has been very successful, they need to do more as well because these strains are becoming more virulent, they're um, more contagious, and that's what we've got going on in Sydney. Now, 3% of the Australian population, 3% have been fully vaccinated. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like 27% have, have one vaccination. So I think that Australia has really done itself a disservice in terms of getting on the front foot with this vaccine rollout. I mean, we can't open our borders. We, we can't have tourism. We can't have immigration and all of those things. So I, be, I remain a little bit sceptical about anyone that talks about rate rises coming through so quickly in Australia because... Our economic growth has been predominantly driven, if not by the iron ore producers, then it has by immigration and the property sector. And whilst the property sector is running hot, that's, you know, fine. But if they start to raise rates too soon, um, you know, a lot of people are exposed in property. And so I think Australia, they have to be really, really careful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Um, speaking to some of the local professionals in the real estate space. Uh, they're currently, even at the current low rates, they're seeing some decent uh, mortgage repossessions that are- Really? Yeah. In Victoria, really? I, think, I think the lockdown has really impacted. These kind of news, they're hard to um, get the accurate picture, the numbers, <clears throat> but from what I've been told by some of the professionals, and we cover real estate a lot on this podcast, that surely is the case. Mm-hmm. Is this is this in the um, apartment sector more than the housing sector? No, overall. Overall. Mm-hmm. See, wow. the thing is, uh, think about it for a, from a uh, uh, from a person's perspective. The uh, ones who have bought their houses in the last year or two and they lost their jobs because of COVID or had to uh, stood down part time or whatever it is, right? Uh, all of a sudden you are 90% or 80% geared, leveraged. Yeah. Um, it's, it becomes a little bit hard, even though uh, the interest rates are low, but yes. still budgeting on those rates, right? Unless you're budgeting on a higher rate, then it's a different thing, but no one does that. So that's where the problem is, I think. Yeah. Um, and I guess they, would, they, they had a lot of leniency, didn't they? They gave people a period, a grace period over the lockdowns of last year where you could, you didn't have to pay your mortgage and now the banks are cracking down and saying, no, you have to catch up with your arrears. And obviously, um, whilst the unemployment rate has moved down a lot, 
a lot of the jobs are really insecure. They're, you know, people are working two or three three jobs a week, aren't they? And they're doing, you know, in the services industry where you're not actually paid that much. Um, so I'm not actually surprised to tell you the truth at all, Jazz. Mm. No, it's, yeah, I think you're bang on. Uh, it's the job keeper and the job seeker packages that saved mm. people last year. And now that that's out of the way. Um, and plus the real estate, real estate prices obviously are a little bit inflated. We all know that. So mm. uh, that altogether is adding up to the what we're seeing. But anyways, I don't want to get distracted towards property because that's one of our passions to talk about property. Uh, now, Michael Burry tweeted, <laughs> was it this week or last week? I don't how, know. Yeah. How inflated the stock market, crypto, uh, real estate, he pretty much mentioned all markets, PACs, are, right? And then also Warren Buffet, the famous Warren Buffet indicator, which currently sits at roughly about, um, according to the Warren Buffet's indicator, market is currently 86% overvalued or 2.8 standard deviations away from the what it should be. What is your take on that? Well, Michael Burry, it's interesting because, look, I don't pay. We've had a lot of people saying the markets are in a bubble. Um, it's not new. It happens quite regularly, except when you have these corrections like we did a year ago or just over a year ago in March. Uh, we have seen big corrections already in the expensive software companies over in America particularly, and they fell 50 or 60% from their highs. The really, really dodgy SPACs, the speculative SPACs, mm -hmm. um, have fallen hugely, although I own two SPACs. I bought Sophie Social Finance, which is now a, it's, it's, its proper company, and I bought STEM, and both of those have recovered completely because they're, they're real companies making real earnings. One is in... Uh, the battery energy space, which mm -hmm. is STEM, and they're doing smart energy software. And social finance is a kind of like a online platform for the one-stop shop in finance. And it started for uh, young people because student loans are huge in America, and that's mm -hmm. where it started. Mm -hmm. uh, you've also seen a bit of the crypto lose its appeal for various reasons, so bubble bursting in that space as well. So you could actually argue if anything um, is overvalued at potentially at the moment um, has been in the commodity space mm -hmm. and uh, you've seen big pullbacks in the likes of, I can never, I'm so bad at pronouncing it, Freeport McMoran, um, the big copper company over in the US. Um, you're seeing it, as I said, in the lumber prices, mm -hmm. and you've seen people that are very concerned about our iron ore producers. They're trading off their highs as well. So I'm not sure it'll all come down to how quickly the Fed decides to taper. If you remove the loot, so the first thing always everyone has to remember is that they stop um, the injection of liquidity, so they that they taper, mm -hmm. and that withdrawal of liquidity will always hit the more speculative assets first. People will hold on to the shares that have uh, good earnings at the moment and pay a dividend mm -hmm. because with rising interest rates, you, you, you kind of, you know, you, you don't want to own companies that have no income whatsoever. And that's why 
those very expensive software companies over in the US, mm -hmm. uh, such as Snowflake, um, got so severely hit because they were like trading on a hundred times yeah. forward sales, um, price to sales. So um, I'm not so sure about Michael Burroughs' thing. Obviously, if the Fed gets too aggressive, too hawkish, yes, of course, markets will fall. Mm -hmm. Markets always fall between 10 and 20% at least once a year. So people have to be aware of that. And that's why I tend to have a bit of cash on the sidelines, although it's obviously not earning that much. And as for Warren Buffett, well, he's a very old style value investor. So he's probably going to say things are expensive. Um, but, you know, Warren sold all the airline stocks at the bottom of the market last year. So, you know, the thing about investing in shares, you can have as many metrics, financial indicators, yada, yada, yada. At the end of the day, uh, nobody gets it right all the time. <laughs> That's the bottom line. So it's all about managing your portfolio of stocks and it's all about managing your risk, mm -hmm. what you're comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to uh, use margin loans and borrow to buy shares, you will clearly struggle when there's a big sell-off you will become a forced seller. And that's never a good idea because you will lose your capital. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. Now, you did mention about the commodity pullback, which happened uh, after the FMC meeting. After what's happened this week with the announcement uh, by Jerome Powell, and in general, uh, that commodities will see its run for the next couple of years? Or... This is the, I think, I think yeah, you have to be really careful about just generalizing because I think every commodity, soft or hard, is completely different. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's look at oil. I'm not an oil specialist, mm -hmm. but oil is being severely disrupted, okay, because of electric vehicles. End of story. It's happening. You've seen it from the activist um, shareholder who's got three new directors on the board of Exxon. You've got it in Shell. You've got it in BP. They're all putting up their hands that they have to reduce their emissions, right? Mm -hmm. So what happens is in a market where you're being, um, uh, you, you're seeing this big transition, the irony is, is that as production uh, and exploration or new exploration stops, Mm -hmm. Okay, and it is stopping because it's no longer worth their while or they're not allowed to by their shareholders to continue to explore the new oil fields. Right. Mm -hmm. So what happens is, is that you actually get um, you've got existing demand, but you potentially got contracting supply. OK, and you've got contracting supply because nobody wants to invest it in anymore. And Exxon decided after the disaster of last year that they are just purely going to focus on their lowest cost quality oil fields. Right. Because over the longer term, we know the oil price is going to collapse. But before it collapses, because this doesn't happen overnight, this is a really big secular theme. Mm -hmm. You potentially have the oil price moving higher because you don't have new supply coming on stream. So at the moment, you don't have some of the shale oil producers in the US coming on stream. And it's my understanding when I see people saying like the oil price is going to $100, you have to question whether the Saudis are going to allow that to happen. Maybe they want to say, we don't want it to go to $100. We'll just pump out more because we don't want all these new oil 
fields coming back on stream again in the US, for example. So the US, you have to look at really specific, I mean, so not the US, the oil market really specifically. Obviously, markets like lithium, rare earths, nickel, copper, everything that's going into electric vehicles, potentially that's a long-term secular bull trend. Mm -hmm. But again, it just depends on how much supply comes on stream because Mm -hmm. these are commodity markets. Once demand goes up, supply comes on questionably in some of them we've had all the the cheapest deposits of copper that have actually been mined so it's going to get more expensive um i am not personally convinced that in the absence of fiscal expenditure like the government spending to support com- um, the, our economies mm-hmm. that we're in some huge mega you know secular bull market for commodities i certainly am not convinced in my it would be very specific to what's actually going on in other sectors. That's my view. I think our economies, as you've cited with property, um, are very reliant on government support. And this is what Victor Schwetz, that Macquarie, uh, Macquarie Bank strategist, talks about, is that every time the taps are turned off from the governments, mm-hmm. um, you're going to see a, a decrease in demand and economic activity. So now we're not only addicted to the the financial uh, liquidity stimulus from QE and low interest rates, but economies are increasingly becoming addicted to the fiscal stimulus as well. Well, I'm not convinced is the answer, but you will hear a completely different story from someone that is in that space because they're not going to tell you that they think that they're, um, sector is, you know, going to roll over and die. So I tend to look at it more from what I am seeing in the technology space, in changing consumer patterns, how we are, um, you know, there's there's now a view I was just reading about the Zoom CEO who's just been um, uh, speaking at the, uh, virtually, dare I say, at the Macquarie Bank conference, technology conference, and he was just saying, um, I don't see we're ever going to move behind beyond now the hybrid working model, particularly yes. with the Gen Z and the millennials. That's what they're going to demand. They don't want to have to get in a suit and go to the office every day mm-hmm. of the week. And I do, I do fundamentally believe that this pandemic, which is not going to go away, okay, it's still going to have strains. We've still got to get the globe fully vaccinated. It's not a case of like, oh, well, we had it last year and everything's going to go back to what it was pre-2020 anytime soon. And um, I think the world has fundamentally changed and it has had a direct impact on the rate of uptake of certain uh, big mega trends across the globe, whether it's digitalization, e-commerce, the way, you know, we live and work has changed substantially. Yeah. Totally agree on that. And that brings me to one of the discussion points that you also uh, had listed, which is the industrial real, industrial real estate, they're ex- uh, experiencing the valuations, revaluations, basically. What is, yeah. what, what is your take over there? Just- well, I've been um, heavily positioned into quite a few of those in Australia. So we've got Goodman Group, mm-hmm. um, Charter Hall, Long Whale Reef, uh, also Charter Hall itself. And um, there's, there's no doubt about it, they've been huge, strong performers, but 
And at the moment, you're seeing a revaluation in the value of these industrial assets, and it's directly linked to the shift, the changing sands of the consumer and the demand in e-commerce. And, you know, I, I wouldn't want to be operating um, the Westfield Mall at the moment in Bondi Junction here in Sydney, which is one of the biggest Westfield malls owned by Centre Group, mm -hmm. because I bet you can shoot a cannon through it again. And I think this is a real shift again, whilst they're never going to disappear, um, a lot of uh, retail shops and outlets have experienced quite a severe contraction. And that's happening in the US and it's also happening in Australia. And um, obviously the converse of people changing their shopping patterns to going to the store directly is that you see uh, more demand for these big logistics warehouses that are going to be at the back end operators of these big e-commerce platforms that are increasingly developing, or the fact that even if you're um, a, you know, a Temple and Webster or any of those other companies, you have to have an online platform. I mean, we were shopping for lights on the weekend or shopping for bathroom fixtures and fittings. And the first thing you always say is, can I find it online? Mm -hmm. Because even though you will probably eventually go to the shop. You are going to start scrolling through and looking at all of the choice online. So it is being reflected in the industrial asset prices here in Australia. And you have seen um, very strong share price performances from the likes of those companies. And it's probably going to continue. Um, yeah. You know, that trend is, again, um, I write about it in my new book um, about investing in US stock markets. I mean, you've only uh, achieved 20% penetration of e-commerce sales in the whole of the US retail market. I mean, we think this is a really well-evolved secular trend, but my son never visits a shop. He just doesn't, you know, he just shops online and he's 20. And he doesn't really like using banks either. I mean, he does if he has to, but he more looks at, you know, more these sort of fintech type of companies. So I think I think the change is on. Mm -hmm. I wonder when will we start eating online? Uh, eating online? Well, apparently, <laughs> apparently, apparently Zoom is now working on, so when you have your coffee meeting, yeah. um, they're now working on so you can have three people sitting together on a Zoom call looking like they're sitting next to each other with the smell of coffee happening. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a good start towards the the shift that we'll see in the VR world where exactly and everything will come into play as well at some point. Do your, do your, are your kids allowed to go online and, you know, use Roblox or any of those games, Jazz? Well, um, so I recently upgraded his iPad more for school purposes <laughs> during the COVID period. Uh, you need that. And uh, I don't remember downloading any school apps but we have downloaded downloaded a lot of games on it that's for sure <laughs> have you got roblox uh not the roadblock specifically yeah because uh, uh, a lot of people are very bullish on that one and i don't have i don't have a 10 year old kid anymore i've got a 20 year old so it's all a bit gobbledygook to me but they do obviously have uh currencies and it's a precursor to um you know the virtual worlds and you know, creating, yeah, all this different stuff, which for a, 
you know, someone in their 50s, it's hard to get your head around. Yeah, it's, it's interesting when uh, we used to, uh, back in our days, everything was physical, going out, playing with the bikes, mm. uh, sports and all that stuff. Uh, I think the future is all going to be just going to be sitting in a dark room with a VR headset on. And that VR headset is going to be your real life, a virtual real life, essentially. Mm. So, uh, oh. it's, it's, on Mars. Don't forget, we'll be on Mars at that oh, stage. Yeah, true that. That's true on Mars. <laughs> <laughs> I think that the, the other point, just in terms of um, stock positioning for your listeners, mm-hmm. I started buying the other sector that's been doing very well is healthcare. Mm-hmm. And you've finally seen a big rotation back into healthcare stocks. Um, um, you know, whilst obviously Moderna's doing really, really well, I own that one. And I'm not an expert um, particularly on Moderna, but if they want to listen to more about that, there's a really cool young dude, uh, Michael Frazis, F-R-A-Z-I-S. Mm-hmm. And I interviewed Michael because I've started a YouTube series of Shareplicity Talks. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't discuss so much in my uh, chat about uh, Moderna, but if people want to learn more about mRNA, if you look up him, he's got some um, great uh, chats and podcasts um, about that whole mRNA uh, technology. Mm-hmm. But you have seen rotation back into the likes of ResMed, Cochlear in Australia, CSL is back over $300. You're mm-hmm. seeing it in the US as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're also getting some calls by strategists saying because we might be reaching a more mature stage of the economic cycle that you want more defensive positioning of your stocks. So healthcare goes into that, um, as does the likes of, um, you know, possibly a Woolworths and a Coles or Mm -hmm. Woolworths is uh, spinning out in debit drinks, so the alcohol business. So more stable recurring earning streams that are not so exposed to rising interest rates. Mm -hmm. So we're already, that's the thing. I think these markets are going to continue to move around between you know, are they going to tighten too quickly? Are they going to raise rates too quickly? Are markets going to sell off? And then they go, no, the 10-year bond hasn't gone too high. You know, we'll stick with a bit of growth. Mm -hmm. So in terms of strategy, I'm sitting on a bit of cash, but I've also got a little bit of what I've termed before the barbell strategy. Mm -hmm. So I do have some financials. I like sometimes more the ones like uh, Morgan Stanley or Macquarie Bank here in Australia because they're more asset managers rather than pure commercial banks that we have. So they're not JP Morgans, they're not Wells Fargo, they're not a Combank or a NAB or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, keep it, it all goes down to people need to understand the companies they own, They need to, I think, continue to hold quality companies. So if there's a sell-off, you can be confident that they are going to, their business is going to survive an economic slowdown and come out the other side. And at the end of the day, um, I don't think there's anyone that they could put their hand on their heart and know where rates will be, you know, 12 months down the track. You may start to see inflationary expectations pick up so dramatically that you get more embedded inflation in the system than what the Fed expects. Although I don't think anyone really believes it's going back to the 1970s. 
Mm-hmm. Come on, Danny. You should be talking about Dogecoin. That's the quality stock. <laughs> Elon, Elon's tweeting about it. It's gonna be the. It's gonna be the trend. And trends your friend. Oh, dear, oh me. Exactly. So, do we start buying the cryptos again now, Jazz? I'm not a crypto expert, but uh, <laughs> do we? Uh, probably not. Not the. Probably not. not. It's not the best time. Uh, wait for. Sorry, I was going to say uh, maybe check with Elon when is he when is he going to press the enter button on his keyboard again, tweeting <laughs> related to one of these coins, and that will pump the markets up. Yeah, the one thing I did see about someone tweeted from um, someone who's pretty smart over in um, Canada today. He said the markets, the the financial system could cope with a complete breakdown um, in crypto, but it couldn't. It won't cope with a breakdown in property across the globe. So this huge injection of liquidity has manifested itself across pretty much every asset class. Mm. And we, I think that, um, you know, when you look at the Australian market and you start picking stocks, it gets really hard because you very quickly find you have a huge exposure to property. Mm-hmm. And if it's not through the banks, which own all our property, mm-hmm. then it's through some of the quality building material suppliers or it's through the wealth effect so people have more disposable income and they go to jb hi-fi or you know they go to temple and webster and they fit out their house so i think that um really probably all of us more than anything else um need to be keeping an eye on just property in general because it may be a little bit like the canary in the coal mine that what we saw back in 2006 7 lead up to the gfc mm-hmm. and the banks are probably i'm i'm led to believe starting to look um, more circumspectly on how much they're lending and the quality of the loans and it still defies me how you can gear up as much as they've allowed mm-hmm. yeah so yeah that's that's a very interesting one actually i mean uh how important the property market is for the financial system that became totally. that that became pretty clear last year when they had to suspend the mortgages by yeah. uh, six to 12 months because obviously there was going to be a big impact on the banking system yeah. uh, it's like banking system is totally reliant on property to some extent uh, right. and uh, i think it was last week we saw new zealand announcing that they'll be incorporating um property into their macro prudential policy in terms of um, how much banks can lend to the customers will be more decided based on debt to income ratios, which will change the game a little bit, especially for investors uh, who leverage a lot uh, mm. to build their portfolios in this space. So mm. Mm. Once, uh, no surprises over there, I think. And uh, uh, the fact that we saw CBA or not CBA, sorry, one of the, maybe it was CBA, but one of the banks, a few of the banks now have started raising their fixed interest rates. Yes. As well. yeah. uh, I've seen that, yeah. So that is telling you of what's going on. Uh, it's a, I think it's more of a, a bit of job owning and taking very small steps to just control the property market because when you speak to uh, the real estate agents and all, uh, the growth that we have seen in the last six months to yeah, almost six to seven mm. months. It's mm. just crazy, some crazy numbers. Mm. Agreed totally, agreed totally. But, I mean, generally speaking, I think, um, you know, just investors 
it's always about, you know, if you have money to put in the market, you drip feed it into the share markets. You obviously use any sell downs as a great opportunity, have your wish list of stocks that you want to buy mm -hmm. and just keep an eye on the US 10 year bond. And um, if it if it sell, if it, so if it goes, sells off too much, so the yield goes too high, that's negative. And if it if everybody, if it starts rallying and the yield goes too low, and on Monday that yield got down to about 1.34. Mm -hmm. um, so everybody starts to think what on earth is happening then because what you don't want to see is what you call an inverted yield curve, which is the front end is higher than the, the long end. So the short end higher than the, the long end. Mm -hmm. And that's when everyone will go, oh, well, obviously, they're taking too much liquidity out of the system and they're going to raise rates too much. And before you know it, we'll be back in a recession. Yep. So, you know, we're not we're not there yet by any strength. But, um, yeah, I just think you're just going to continue to see volatility in the markets and keep an eye out too on the, the COVID cases and the Delta strain, et cetera, um, because we are so far not out of the woods when it comes to COVID yet. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Uh, that was great chat, Danny. Some great sure. information over there. Thanks for that. Uh, right. Now, but just before I let you go, I know you've been working on your new book, Shapelicity 2, which which is out. It's uh, out. It's out um, probably early next week, around the 29th of June. Yeah. 29th of June. So what can listeners expect from well, the best thing they can do is go to the website, so mm -hmm. shareplicity.com.au, mm -hmm. and they can download the first chapter for free. Mm -hmm. And you can also, as part of that, you'll get all the uh, endorsements or commendations from some pretty big people who have read the book, from Equity Mates to Ausbiz to um, Ross Gerber, who is a very large US fund manager. Mm -hmm. And the first chapter will give you a great idea of what you can expect in the book. Mm -hmm. But the bottom line is it tackles very much uh, how to invest in US stock markets from either Australia or directly into the US. It tackles um, mega secular themes where the growth is in the next decade or so, how to invest in them and how to balance between holding the more traditional old economy stocks versus the new economy stocks and lots around um, how interest rates impact on share valuations, how to value growth shares. So it's pretty much got a little bit of everything for everyone in there and it's got great reviews and um, I'm hoping everybody at least will download the first chapter and if they like that, uh, you can buy the copies online at Booktopia, at Amazon, uh, on my website, you get signed copies um, or otherwise you can um, go to a good bookstore. Also, the first book has now on the Booktopia Books um, for Excellence in Finance. So the first book is on the Booktopia Books for Finance uh, list. So if anyone hasn't read that... Sorry. that was someone going past the house. Um, you can download the first chapter for free there as well on the website. Awesome. That's great. Great. Um, to the listeners, hope you guys enjoy the content. Uh, this is not a financial advice, so please do your own research. And uh, play safe, stay safe. We'll see you guys 
next week. Cheers. Ciao.